TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Welcome back. It is the second hour of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you. For 51 more minutes, then Meet the Press takes over. Joining us this segment, Niagara Falls School Superintendent Mark Laurie. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. Uh, now, let's get right into it. School's back in the news. Schools really haven't left the news in the last year. But the CDC has now lowered the recommending distance from six feet to three feet. Uh, will Niagara Falls start following that? And... What do you see uh, going ahead? Well, Niagara Falls will start following it the minute our local health department uh, gives us the green light. That's all we're waiting for. Uh, Right now, the CDC has made their decision and their recommendation. And the next step is for the state and the local health department or the state health department to direct the local health departments to roll this out in New York State for all of their uh, counties and all of their respective responsibilities. Once that is put in motion, uh, we plan to open up uh, four or five days of school uh, for all of those students that are uh, right now two days. Uh, and we have already a good number of students that are coming four days a week. So uh, we will convert uh, anyone uh, who wants to come in full time. And if they don't, because that is still a parent's right, we will put them on fully remote. And I, I want to recognize that, too. There are some parents who feel that they don't want to send their children into school despite what the rules are, we still have that remote option for them. So we are ready to roll. We're just waiting for the green light. And one little piece of clarification is on school busing. Um, I, I think that we just need a little bit more guidance if the three feet uh, does apply to a school bus and how that would actually look. Otherwise, Niagara Falls will be ready to roll. Recently is saying he was walking around one of his schools with a yardstick to see how all of these kids could fit if the distancing changes from six to three feet. Uh, What kind of logistical challenges does this face for you in your physical buildings? Yeah, I I think the the biggest logistical challenge would be the lunchroom, uh, kids eating. We uh, may have to, in some locations, convert uh, spaces to be more uh, suitable for lunchrooms because the lunchroom still holds at six feet. Uh, we're a fully masked district. That's not going away. And uh, there are some lunchrooms that just won't have the space. But that's that's really a relatively simple fix to convert classrooms. Or if the weather continues to stay as nice as it is in some of our elementary schools especially, we can allow students to eat outside, uh, then you know have what would look like recess, and then come back uh, ready ready to go. So that that uh, the lunch area and the busing are the logistical challenges. Uh, our, our classrooms are ready to with furniture. We have 
taken away a, a number of pieces of furniture in certain classrooms to fit uh, to fit things in, and that's not a very heavy lift uh, at all. Uh, what kind of clarification do you need from the state? It seems like uh, people are waiting for some clear direction. Are you in touch with folks uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, a daily basis, Mark? How does that work? Well, we're in touch with the, uh, as a group of Niagara County, Niagara and Orleans County superintendents, we meet weekly with the uh, Niagara County Department of Health. Uh, that's that's a standing Tuesday meeting. Uh, I We also speak to the director uh, sometimes daily, sometimes every other day. We're wait, He's waiting for it. I'm referring to Mr. Stapleton, uh, the director, uh, who's done a very good job for our schools, uh, by the way, in, in Niagara County. We're waiting for his green light. Uh, because the state and the, the State Department of Health have to uh, adopt this. And once that happens, and, and it could very well happen soon, uh, we will uh, we'll start to roll our plan out. So I think that that's still the, you know, the, the, the yellow light, so to speak, I, using a light. The yellow light, so to speak, is the CDC's rule. I, I believe that once the state gives the okay, and they should, that the that the local health departments will, and then it'll become the school district's responsibility to implement following the new guidelines. And the new guidelines are fairly clear. Uh, again, I think they're they're well done, with the exception of transportation. To me, that's just a bit of an outlier with, that needs a little bit of clarification. What about um, kids who are, you mentioned about uh, the cafeteria and buses, but how has this impacted physical education? Are kids still able to participate in gym class with all of these restrictions? I'm sorry, I didn't hear your question. It cut out for a minute. Are, are kids still able to participate in gym class with all of these restrictions? Sure, yeah. Gym class has been now lowered to six feet. Uh, when it's approved, it'll be six feet. Um, we... Um, and again, with the beautiful weather and the uh, areas that surround our schools, they'll be able to go outside even more. But the gym classes should be able to fully handle the the new requirements. Uh, most of our gyms are good size. <clears throat> Six feet shouldn't be a problem. So, uh, as well as music, and uh, music. And don't forget, we are fully into sports. I mean, basketball and uh, some of the other sports are certainly closer to six feet. So, uh, you know, there, no one's in any close proximity for long periods of time. We'll make sure that those precautions stand. We'll have a plan for every one of those areas. So I, it's going to look, uh, with the exception of lunchrooms that may be much more spread out or take on different locations, it's going to start to look like real school. And I think it's really important that we do this now. And 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 first of all, for for our older students, I mean, they're they're, they're not going to be returning in September. But I think it's a uh, an anticipatory set. It's a step up. It's a step in to the full return that I hope begins on July first. Mark, speaking of sports, what has the return to sports uh, looked like, and how has it been for your student athletes? Uh, return to sports has been good. It's been very smooth. We've had one team pause. Now, a pause would occur if any athlete or member of the coaching staff was COVID positive. We've had we've had in one sport a pause. Uh, other schools have have had those kind of situations too. Otherwise, um, the number of contests have been reduced and the number of spectators have been reduced. But the competition is great, and the kids are happy. And uh, it's good to see that they needed that outlet. They need to, again, step back in to what looks like normal. And uh, with the return to sports, albeit on a much more compacted schedule, right? Because our next season up is football. 
and and volleyball and cheerleading and girls swim. It's out of sync, but it's still a chance for them to participate. And once they hit the field or the hardwood, then they're then they're good to go. It's it's been really great. Now, you probably didn't think you were going to have to answer this next question, uh, but you know, mentally, I'm going back to high school. If uh, if a kid acts up in a COVID world, are you guys still having detention? Is that still a thing in uh, during COVID nineteen? Now, now it sounds like you you have some experience with detention. Oh, just a little. <laughs> I don't want to presume any. I know Brenda would never. I'll have to explain what it was to Brenda. But I, I, I was a model student, Erica. I know. Sure. I, it sounds like Joe is kind of familiar with that. Term. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, detention, at least in our school district, is is a thing of the past. Uh, you know, we're we're we don't have a detention. Uh, we do have students uh, have some time out, some thinking time, some uh, you know, calming themselves down time during the school day. But uh, making kids stay after school uh, for detention it turned out to be pretty counterproductive in in in, in this day and age. So we don't have that per se, uh, but we do have some alternative strategies to correct behavior. Uh, that's that, you know, that lives in every school and it varies and it's very situational and very determinate based on what happens. But, uh, you know, you know, it's uh, to, not to be um, flip about it, but one of the things that we have not had to do during this pandemic is correct students with any type of discipline over mask wearing. We have been very blessed by our children and staff who have followed that rule as young as three and four years old right through high school kids. Uh, it's been one of the easiest things that have occurred. And, you know, prior to it all, we were all, what's going to happen if this happens? What if somebody, that... those things never amounted. They were fears that never amounted. I, I, rightly so. We didn't know what it would be like, but that type of discipline never happened. And fortunately, anytime kids, you know, moved closer than each other in the hallway, uh, a simple verbal command got them to separate. And it really has not been a problem for these first seven months of school. That it's is, really amazing. It's great to you hear. Know, yeah, it isn't is. Isn't it, though? It really is. You know, you know, yeah, it really is. We've had no issues around that, and I mean none. Yeah, it's quite a change, too, to adapt to. By the way, I think Joe honed his uh, math skills when he was sitting in the corner counting the paint chips <laughs> in the corner. Yeah, that's it's good, Joe. Yeah, he seems um, familiar with <laughs> concepts. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Mark, uh, you mentioned about um, student compliance, and uh, but yet some parents are still reluctant to send their kids to yes. school. What about um, the teachers and the teachers' union positions? Uh, how has that evolved over the past year? Well, uh, we, we're very we're very fortunate uh, in Niagara Falls. Our unions are very cooperative. We work together. Uh, it's uh, you, you know we talk about talking to the health directors in, in, in the state. We talk to our unions almost every day, um, and and I think that that's uh, you know I think there's sometimes disagreements. I'm not going to paint this as all you know easy and wine and roses, but there's often disagreements, but we've been able to sit at a table and come up with a, a, a good strategy together because their, their goal is to get kids back into school too safely. Uh, one of the things that our union had been very successful on is getting vaccinations. <clears throat> they really, they really worked hard for the staff and it's not just the teachers. They worked hard for the entire staff to work with the uh, Memorial hospital. As a matter of fact, deserves a lot of the credit, along with the union leadership of the teachers, to get vaccinations to the point where I would say in Niagara Falls, 
and, and again, I don't have empirical hard data on this. So this is more anecdotal, but I would say about 70% uh, are vaccinated. And um, we plan on meeting tomorrow. Uh, we have a, a meeting tomorrow just to go through this reentry plan and what hurdles or pebbles could be in our shoe. Uh, and we like to share it out and we like to vet it out. And of course, sometimes scenarios present themselves that we haven't had a chance to talk about, but uh, we have constant dialogue, constant communication, and uh, they've been supportive. Uh, they've asked the questions, they've protected their staff, uh, but they have put kids first. So I, I Really, really a fortunate situation for us. The maturity and the uh, wisdom of our leadership is really good. We're talking with Mark Laurie, Niagara Falls School Superintendent. And uh, Mark, I, I, school has become so much more than just a place to learn. I know so many kids rely on school for nutrition. Uh, are you still able to provide meals for kids who, uh, who need that kind of help, uh, even in spite of what's happening with the pandemic? We we are uh, Brenda. We have uh, we have we have narrowed it a little bit. We we've offered meals to the remote students and the non-hybrid day students. So if you're a Monday Tuesday student, you can still get your lunches on Wednesday Thursday Friday. We've done it at five schools uh, that that there's a full lunch service. So a pick up and go is what I'm talking about. We did cut it back from every school. Uh, we needed to be a little bit more economical. And efficient with our, you know, with our service there. But I will keep that going until the end of this school year in June, and then when summer programming takes over, the the food service will be available through the summer programs. So we will have now, we, by the end of by the end of uh, June of this year, we're clo- we'll be close to eight hundred thousand meals. Uh, that have been distributed outside of the cafeteria. I'm really pr- proud of our cafeteria team, and I, you're right. Uh, school is much more. School for some of our students uh, is a, a good breakfast and a good lunch, and we'll continue that through the end of the school year. And we have a whole host of summer programs already lined up and built. The only column that's not filled in is whether they'll be in person, whether they'll be virtual, or whether they'll be a combination of both even in the summer. Next year cannot start soon enough. And we have to start that July, literally July 1st. Actually, we're going to start at June 28th. That's when our summer programs will be going. And the reason that's so important is because this learning pandemic that we're walking into is going to take time to recover from. And if we don't start June 28th, we're, we're going to lose more valuable time. So I hope we continue to evolve with the three feet. I hope we continue to get as many kids back in as possible and that we really start addressing this learning pandemic that we're on the precipice of. Have you noticed a real psychological impact, Mark, with kids who have had to work remotely and uh, from home? And, uh, you know, you've talked in the past on this show about how Niagara Falls is one of the poorer districts. Not everybody has an iPad or access to a computer and that social interaction is lacking. Uh, that the number you quoted, 800,000 meals to me, is staggering. Yeah. Um, again, you know, highlighting the fact that school is much more than a brick-and-mortar place where you sit and, you know, open a book all day. What has the psychological impact been like for the students and the teachers, for that matter? Yeah, I, you know, any time change occurs, it's going to affect you, even, even you know, adults, right? You, you hit right on that. So getting back into a routine, having the same rituals and, and thing, going through things is really important to kids, especially children who come from poverty. They need the, the safety and security and comfort of knowing where things are because they often live in 
unfortunately, but chaotic lives. And school plays a major role in routine and ritual for kids. So it's important not only for food, uh, but for a second, third, fourth set of eyes, but it's also an outlet for kids to demonstrate and receive positive attention, unfortunately, sometimes. Uh, Another sad statistic is that our referrals to child protection have gone way, way down. I'd love to tell you it's because of some uh, great intervention program, It's just because we haven't seen all the kids. I'm just trying to be honest about that. But um, it's so critical that we lay eyes on children. We have interaction with them. We talk to them. We listen to them. And and in the meantime, we teach them, of course. But that ritual and routine is so important to not only adults but to kids. And, And we have to get back to that. It'll never be the same. There'll always be this. technological, uh, you know, ability of kids, which is a good thing, but we've got to get back to the rituals, routines, especially for our younger children who have not learned to advocate for themselves and who can't advocate for themselves because they're four, three, four, five, six, and seven. So it's critical that this occurs as soon as possible. Um, and, And I think we're starting now to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I'm really, really excited about this chance. Niagara Falls Superintendent Mark Laurie. Mark, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Anytime and uh, the best to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. When we come back, Brenda, we have double the guest to finish out this episode of Hardline. It's uh, Wyatt and Wingo coming up. So if you have any questions about the school zone, speed zones, uh, give us a call. Uh, rack it up now at 803-0930. We'll talk to Council Members Ulysses Wingo and Rashid Wyatt right after this. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Odyssey celebrates Father's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to the last segment on Hardline. We've certainly had a busy show. Brian Higgins was with us, Dr. Nancy Nielsen, and in our last segment, Superintendent Mark Laurie from the Niagara Falls School District. So, again, any of those interviews are available to you on our podcast after the show. Uh, but now we wanted to shift our focus to the city and speak with uh, University District Council Member Rashid Wyatt. Good morning, Rashid. Good morning, Brenda. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. And I know um, Council Member, your, your colleague, Council Member Ulysses Wingo, will phone in. He is also a pastor, so I think he is just wrapping up his duties uh, pastoring this Sunday morning, and he'll join us as well. So, uh, Rashid, of course, uh, you've been on the show uh, several times, and it seems like this topic just won't go away. And I'm referring to the speed zones near Buffalo schools. 
And now a lawsuit has been filed uh, saying that they actually create, that, that speed zone law actually creates more danger. Uh, what is your thought on this recently filed lawsuit? Yeah, Brenda, this this is just and continues the saga of these cameras and just how um, detrimental and in some cases maybe possibly not totally legal in what we are doing and how it was rolled out. So, again, um, I can't say enough that the information that we have gotten um, from people like Peter Reese, Peter Rizzo, um, just speaks to this um, program and how in a um, just uh, it's not rolled out right it's not managed right it's totally against what the common council initially put forth um in which our focus was typically arrival and departure times and now it's become a whole different animal due to the city's um financial issues not necessarily the safety of children because when you talk about the safety of children you talk about the safety of citizens you talk about um the motorists um, there's a fairness that should be there, and there's a sensitivity that we should have when we listen to the public and their concerns and address those things. And I think the Common Council has done a fantastic job of pushing those things. However, the administration, again, has turned a deaf ear to many of those recommendations, and now we have lawsuits and things, and I, I think this thing is on its last legs. And it's hitting people, Rashid, in the wallet because uh, with these cameras near the Buffalo schools, it leads to a $50 citation for travelers, uh, for people traveling 26 miles per hour or faster in these marked zones. But not everybody's in agreement on this. And I understand that uh, Councilmember uh, Wingo is on the line now. Good morning, Councilmember. Joe, do we have uh, Ulysses Wingo on the line? I'm here. Can you hear me? Ah, there you are. Good morning, sir. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning. Uh, tell us your take on the uh, school zone cameras. Well, the school zone cameras, I believe, is a great idea. I believe that the spirit of the policy, the program, is is, is honorable. I do believe that uh, it could have been rolled out better. But with, like, any new program or with any new piece of legislation, you have to give it a moment and a chance during its infancy stages to work out the kinks. Now, of course, people are not going to be happy when you incorporate a punitive measure in their everyday lifestyle against something that they're used to doing, which is speeding up and down our streets and around our schools. I used to work in the university district. My children went to school in the university district. I witnessed right at the intersection, one of those busiest intersections at Bailey and Amherst, where people run lights and speed up and down Bailey like it's an expressway. Now... We're, we're talking about a program that is enforcing the speed limit, okay? The speed limit, we have to make sure that we're putting all the information out there. The speed limit is 15 miles an hour from 7.30 in the morning to 4.30 and even 5.30 in certain areas. And when the school requests an extension, they can get an extension. Or if they request it all day, I approve those for Madison District uh, schools. Those schools are Performing Arts, Bennett High School, and School 61, the Arthur Oye uh, School. Now, we're literally saying to the public, we're going to turn off enforcement so that you don't get caught breaking the law. That's what my colleague is asking. That's what you say when you say dismantle the program. That is actually enforcing the law. 
Mind you, if we get rid of the cameras, police officers still have the ability to write you a ticket. And not only that, the ticket will be much more than $50, and you will have points on your license. So to correct wrong behavior, the system is working. The data proves that it's working. Drivers are slowing down. We have upwards of an almost 90% compliance rate in some areas because they know that we have these enforcement devices in place. Now, mind you, too, these enforcement devices can only write a ticket when it's 10 miles an hour or over, or over 10 miles an hour. So if the speed limit is 15 miles an hour, you don't get a ticket unless you're driving 26 miles an hour or more, which is only four miles less an hour than the city's speed limit anyway. Well, why not just change the sign to 20 to 25 miles per hour then? Because then the cameras can't capture you unless you're going 36 miles an hour. Okay, now you certainly laid out your your uh, position here, Councilmember Wingo and Councilmember Wyatt. What do you say to that, Brenda? I've already said clearly, you know the issue, and you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> Councilmember continues to side with the mayor. He's ignored the residents and their complaints and their concerns. The council has put forth numerous uh, recommendations to refine the program, and he's ignored each of them. We've asked for the beacon to be moved out further. We've asked for the signage to be changed. We've asked for the signage to show directionals where the cameras are. None of that's been done. However, we want to talk about a Safe Streets campaign, which that was something that was proposed four years ago in my district residents are angry that none of those things have come to pass we don't have crosswalks we don't have speed humps there are other non-punitive measures that we can put in place besides um, taxing people and making people even poor during a pandemic the third poorest city in the country and we think that our uh, our um, recommendation to improve the safety um, of motorists and pedestrians is to penalize them a $50 ticket. I went along with this initially, not because I wanted to, the city to increase its coffers, but because I thought the program and way, the way it was rolled out initially, you know, where it was in the morning when children arrived and when they departed, not the entire day. I mean, you still, I just, I, we just got a, a letter from the school board asking us to extend it. You know, and, and, and sometimes I just wonder, where are these folks thinking? This is a poor city. And no, I don't want just people to drive randomly speeding. You know, I propose red light cameras. You know, there's things that I have done. I want to see uh, speeding control. But there are also other things that we can do that are less punitive. And one of them that I've stood up for years ago before anybody else thought about it was speed humps. And speed humps are another measure to, again, protect the quality of life of our children, protect the quality of life of seniors, and speed humps are non-punitive. Though we can have speed humps all around our school buildings because many of them are in residential areas. Those things are um, other measures that we can do. But we don't need to use a company, a third-party company, deciding where these cameras go so that they can make as much money as they want. We don't need that in the city of Buffalo, and I'm speaking for the residents in the university district and many others that are outside that know that this is about a money grab. It's not about the safety of our children. We don't have crosswalks. We don't have um, markings in, for the traffic. We All we have is cameras collecting from poor people um, and making their lives 
more difficult in the midst of a pandemic. And to build off that point, I will ask you, Councilmember Wingo, what percentage of the fine goes to the company that installed those cameras? So out of the $50 fine, the company will receive $14, and the city of Buffalo will receive $36 per fine. But let me just address a couple of things real quick. So uh, my colleague, you know, talked about the legality of the program. Uh, he talked about uh, not listening to the, to the voters. When, in fact, the only reason why the program is in place is because we listen to the voters. The voters told us they need us to do something to slow the residents down. This is what we do. And it was my colleague, Councilmember Wyatt, who also proposed red light cameras. And as soon as he got pushed back from the residents, he all of a sudden withdrew his idea of red light cameras. Now we have this safe school zone camera program with these cameras up on poles, regulating and, and citing folks for speeding in school zones because there's pushback from people who want us to stop enforcing the law, the law, enforcing the law. Now he says we're not listening to the residents. No, I'm listening to those residents who told us before the cameras went up, we need to something to slow people down. The data shows that half the people who are speeding in the city of Buffalo don't even live in the city of Buffalo. The other half do live in the city of Buffalo. But the data also shows us that we are getting compliance. Now, the school district is asking for us to enforce this all day in every district. I'm the only council member who's done that. Why? The school district understands the spirit behind this program. They understand that this will make school zones safer. Why? They're not even getting a the school district does not get a dime from this program. So why would they push it? Because they believe that it does make school zones safer, and it does because people are slowing down. We're talking about speed humps. We're talking about marches on the street. If people are ignoring the street signs now, what, does, what, what makes you think that they're going to pay attention to your crosswalks? If they're ignoring it now, there's cameras up, but they're still speeding. So the only way we can do this is to make sure that we have something that is going to enforce the law that is efficient, and as far as this third party, Buffalo, New York, does not have the capacity at this point to run this program ourselves. Therefore, we have this company come in. They put up the cameras. It's their equipment. It's their system. They use our power. We get $36 per ticket. They get $14 per ticket. Councilman Wingo, what about the issue of privacy, though? It's my understanding that these cameras can document speed violations and produce a digital photo as well. And you might see kids or, or you know, other uh, minors who have now been identified. Do you have any concern about privacy issues? No concern about privacy issues whatsoever. And I'm going to tell you why. When you drive on this throughway, we have uh, personless tolls now. There's no one there, but there's cameras taking pictures of everyone on the throughway. No one's talking about those cameras. This is not a matter of privacy. This is a matter of people being inconvenienced with the safety of our children. This is a matter of people who are entitled saying that they want the cameras turned off so that they can break the law without getting caught. And my colleague, unfortunately, especially the one on the phone right now, is spearheading the charge against the program when he's the one who wrote the compromise. He is the one who actually challenged the mayor. He's the one who got us not to veto the bill because he wrote the compromise. How do you write the compromise and then turn all the way around and say dismantle the program? That's, that's, that's hypocrisy. That is duplicitous. That is being double-tongued. I mean, you can't do that. The people deserve consistency. This program needs to be on all day because the cameras are enforcing the law. The law is a speed limit is 15 miles an hour. The cameras are capturing the cars, not the drivers. 
if your car is registered in your name and you let your son, daughter, sister, brother, cousin, aunt, uncle, whoever it is, drive that car, you are going to get a ticket in the mail because it's your car. You're the registered owner. It's your car. Just like if you were on the throughway, you let someone borrow your car. As soon as they go through those tolls, those cashless tolls, you're getting the bill from the state in the mail, not the person who's driving. There is not an issue of privacy here. Councilmember Wyatt, uh, what do you, what do you, I'm sorry, Joe, let me ask Councilman Wyatt, did you do a 180 on this, uh, on this law? Absolutely not, Brenda. You know, my colleague must have dementia or Alzheimer's. <laughs> my other colleagues, they will tell you that Councilmember Wyatt absolutely did not put forth a proposal. That was the mayor's proposal. I wanted to overturn, I wanted to overturn the veto. But he can say whatever he wants. He can use as much rhetoric as he wants. But at the end of the day, my word is my word. I think anybody that knows me knows that I don't flip-flop on things. Now, if it's something that I I disagree with, I'm going to tell you that I disagree with it and I want another direction. I have no – I'm not bought or um, pushed over by just someone's mere um, comments. I make certain that the tactics and the things that I recommend are things that, for the most part, are the safety issues and concerns of the residents. I put forth the red light cameras, and my colleagues said they could not support it. I did not stop, not support it because the people didn't agree with it, because I will tell you most people would agree with it, but the way that these cameras have been rolled out, there's absolutely no way I would dare put something forth that would continue to penalize people um, because we don't have the efficiency or effectiveness or maybe even the technical ability to put something as simple as a school zone camera during the times that the common council legislated to be. It was never, ever something that was supposed to be all day. It was absolutely supposed to be when children are arriving, when children are departing. You know, when you talk about the safety of children, you know, this is only in front of the school for the most part. It's not the entire block of the school. So once the, school, the children leave that block, they're not as they're no no better um, safe than if they were walking across the street when cars weren't even coming. You know, because again, there, there are people and there are individuals who unfortunately do not follow the laws, and we need to do a better job at it. But I don't know how we can do it um, with p- p- uh, being more punitive and giving people tickets. I do think that the recommendations I put forth, the recommendations that Peter Rizzo has put forth, as far as speed humps is definitely a step in the right direction. And I put that before anything else. The cameras were afterthought. They were never the primary need to make people safe. The cameras were something that we added that we thought would be rolled out in an effective way. Um, but unfortunately, because the mayor decided to overturn our, veto, overturn our veto and then push to have it all day because of the city's finances is something that, you know, again, is very clear, is very true. And for someone to say that I put forth a proposal um, regarding these cameras that people, the individual council members will make a determination is just a lie. Councilmember uh, Wingo, would you vote in favor of the speed humps? Absolutely. On top of the cameras or instead of the cameras? Both. Whatever we can do to calm traffic in the city of Buffalo, I'm all for it. But you still want this? Would you compromise for cameras to be on in the morning and then when kids are dismissed? Or do you want the full day not willing to budge on that? You you have to understand something. The... The, the cameras in its original presentation 
we're there to enforce 15 miles an hour. If you go more than 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, 26 miles an hour, you are going to get a citation. The, the back and forth between the mayor's office and the common council had to do with when those cameras would be active. The, 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 the common council uh, proposal was denied by the mayor. He vetoed it. We were going to overturn the veto, but Councilmember Wyatt spearheaded a compromise. He championed that. He championed a compromise. This compromise is what we have right now. And Councilmember Wyatt uh, put in this compromise the ability for council members to have the ability to either approve or deny the district's request to have the cameras on for extended hours. He did that, not me. I was clear when I said I didn't want that authority. That should be something left up to the administration, the executive branch of government. But he gave it to us. We got it. And at that time when we were in council, I literally said on the floor during that meeting, I will approve everything that the school district puts on my desk as far as extending the times for the school zone cameras. Gentlemen, we have about two minutes left in the show, and uh, this turned out to be a very good debate. And so, Councilmember Wyatt, what is your final statement on your position on this particular issue? Wyatt accused me of having dementia and said that I have Alzheimer's. I think that is very, very disrespectful to the families who have people in their family who are dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. I think that was very offensive, and I take very much exception to that statement and comment, because he does not know how that statement affects, adversely affects people who listen to him just now. He owes us an apology for that. Brenda? Councilman uh, Wyatt, go right ahead. Um, I will continue to stand on the things that I've just stated. Um, it's unfortunate that some people lack the level of professionalism um, to handle things. Um, I never attack a colleague, um, but for people to lie on me is very um, it, it, it's, it's very upsetting because I have been a 20-year professional in management finance. I've got the utmost integrity from people, and my, my word is my word. Um, I will continue to fight for the residents who think that this program is unfair, it's been administered in a poor way, and to fight for people who are the underdogs, people who are struggling right now in the midst of a pandemic. A $50 fine is something that could really devastate a family. Um, some people don't understand that. Some people don't recognize it. You managing, you're, you're the mayor or you're a council member of one of the poorest cities in America. Your decisions have to be more in sync with those those type of demographics. Yes, I do think that the, or the speed and the speeding in our city is off the chart. Um, but we can't penalize, penalize people for those things. There are other measures that we can do. People have made recommendations for such things, and we must um, look at how do we do those things, how do we help them um, continue to do the things they need to do in their, their communities, but make our community safe. And speed humps and crosswalks uh, 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 and things like that, and other measures to make um, lanes more narrow, um, can do, are the ways that we should be going, not, you know, charging people $50. Because um, many people have gotten seven, eight, nine tickets because the program is so broken. I mean, sometimes you drive and the beacons aren't on, but you still get a ticket. You know, those are things that are improper and unfortunate that um, the program has been rolled out in such a poor fashion. Thank you. And Councilman uh, Wingo, your response? Yeah, I'm not responding to that. I'm, I'm going to apologize on behalf of my colleague for his lack of professionalism and disparaging people with Alzheimer's 
and dementia. I'm going to apologize on his behalf because that was insensitive to despair that population of people. To make fun of that population of people, I find that offensive. And that, sir, is not professional. And I'm going to close with that. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to express my views and my points, which are all valid. And you can also go back on the record and watch those meetings that we were in. And you could see the duplicity yourself of this council member on the other line. Gentlemen, thank you so much for a lively debate. Uh, Joe, thank you for uh, co-hosting with me. As always, it's a fun and informative show. And, folks, we appreciate you tuning in each week here on Hardline.